everyone out there, how's it going? Welcome to ScreenSpeak. It is the podcast that is all about movies, life, and so much more. I'm Jordan Anderson, this is my podcast, and I am very sincerely thankful that you have decided to come here and give it a listen on this fine February 2nd day. So, welcome, 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 welcome. Um, Before I get super far into the content of this episode and everything like that, Uh, I think I owe my listeners an explanation of where the hell I have been since, I guess, Christmas time, I think. I believe that's the last time I uploaded an episode anyway. Um, So, a couple of things to explain why that happened. Uh, Well, for one, right around, shortly after Christmas time anyway, uh, my fiancé, who is immigrating here from Brazil... Uh, we ended up getting her plane ticket and the visa, the, the K-1 visa, the engagement visa, you know, that thing from like 90 Day Fiance, uh, that had arrived. And so we were getting very excited and getting stuff arranged with that. Uh, so that was taking up just a lot of my time. And it kind of felt like once the plane ticket was purchased that I kind of needed to kick things into high gear and, and get ready for her to come here to the States and get adjusted and getting married and yada, yada, yada. And this is of course with, you know, keeping up, uh, you know, keeping up a job, the thing that pays the bills, which sadly it's not screen speak. <laughs> I, I mean, I wish I could say that this was the thing that was just my bread and butter all the time. Uh, but maybe one day. So, which actually, I guess on that note, wouldn't that be a perfect segue to put the plugs in, right? Go ahead and <laughs> gosh, this is the most pathetic plugs ever, but whatever. Go ahead and follow and or download episodes of ScreenSpeak on your Spotify app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you decide to get your podcasts at. Please go ahead and show some support for this podcast so that I can create more episodes, uh, do it more consistently so that there's not a freaking month, uh, a month long gap. Uh, etc, etc. It's really going to just go to help support the growth of the podcast and also just show people out there what you're listening to. So please go ahead and do that. That would be super helpful. Um, But anyways, back to what I was talking about. So, so everything was, you know, in my in my mind, anyway, I was having to kick everything in the high gear with just getting stuff ready around my place, um, just doing a lot of future planning for our wedding and things like that. Uh, when you haven't, when you haven't been with your significant other for two plus years is roughly around where it's been. Well, you get backed up on things to do and there's a lot that you want to do. Um, and it's just overall a very big adjustment that, that I think I have to, to be ready for. So I guess between that and, you know, my job and, uh, family, friends and, you know, hobbies and working out and just, you know, everything, life. I was very busy and it's not to say that screen speak is not important or, you know, does not continue to be important. It is very important. I was kicking myself for a while that I was being delayed on episodes that I couldn't find the energy to put up the episodes and, you know, just a lot of different excuses after excuses, but I just... I have the mindset that when I'm doing this thing, this podcast that I I love to share with you all, I don't ever want to do it half-assed. I really mean that. 
it's just this means a lot to me and I really care a lot about this medium. I really love talking about movies and, and sharing my thoughts uh, and, and whatever insights I may have on it. I love having people on the show and, and talking and, and talking about movies and life and all kinds of different things. So I, I very much value the quality of screen speak. And I just couldn't bear like hitting record and just forcing myself to do an episode just for the sake of doing an episode, if that makes sense. And now, that said, <clears throat> I realize that on the description of the podcast currently, it says that I am uploading episodes every Sunday, uh, every sorry, every Friday and every Sunday. And since the inception of the podcast on August 13th of 2021, I was keeping to that schedule, uh, with most most success, or mostly success, I think. Uh, I think there was maybe one or two delays here and there, but not as long as the most recent one I had. So again, uh, if you have been listening to the podcast and you were wondering where I was at, I, I, I do hope that that explains it. I will do my very best not to have a long, long lapse or uh, gap in between episodes. Um, and if you're a first-time listener here, welcome. I uh, really sincerely appreciate it. Uh, my channel is just me, Jordan Anderson, that, that's me. I talk about movies, I talk about life, I expand on things in long-form um, conversation or just long-form rambling if it's just me, which for this uh, for this episode it's just me, so uh, no guests today, but I do have more guests coming down the line. I actually have a, a number of people that I've been meaning to have on this uh, to have on my podcast that, you know, I just, I got to schedule them. I, that's, that's on me. You know, some, some of these people's schedules are free. It's just, I got to stop being a procrastinating ass and just get on it and give you the people, the content that you, uh, that you deserve. You deserve it, right? You work hard. I think that you deserve a podcast with me talking about movies and, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it. <clears throat> now, what I wanted to do to start off 2022 was something a little bit different. So <clears throat> if you've gone back and looked at a variety of different episodes I have, you'll notice that I take a movie, a single movie in most cases, and I just basically expand upon it for like an hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever the length of time it is, that's usually what I do. And it's not a review per se, but I just take apart or I pick apart different themes uh, ideas that are in the movie, or I may talk about how the movie was made itself, uh, give some backstory of like when the first time I saw it, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. You can see where this is going. And I am going to continue to do that format. That's not changing. Um, but for this first episode to start off 2022, I just wanted to do something different. And lately, I've been having a lot of different thoughts on on physical media and its importance and just being an advocate for it and I just want to do something in my own small way to to show the love for physical media that I have and share it with others. So in that vein or in that is that a thing? Do people say that in that vein? I don't know if that's what people say, but on that note, what I would like to do for this episode and possibly one to two other episodes, maybe even three, I don't know how long it will take to actually get through it, uh, but I'm going to go through my entire physical media movie collection uh, alphabetically because I am a nerd and I do alphabetize this stuff 
and just give my real quick rapid fire thoughts on all the movies that I own. I, I actually think it would be a lot of fun. And I know myself, I, I'm a person that loves watching different uh, collectors' videos on the movies they have and then giving them their thoughts on it, etc., etc., whether it is a, a video like on YouTube or somebody talking about it on a podcast. I kind of have an obsession with that sort of thing from time to time. And so I just figure, hey, I should add to it, uh, try to do one of those collector videos, or in this case, audio bites, not audio bites, but audio episodes, right? That's what I'm trying to say. Um, so <clears throat> that's what I'm going to do starting right now. Now for this episode on here, I have, I believe the letters, uh, well, starting with like the number one, because you know, that comes before the letter A. But I'm going all the way through the letter C in my collection. That's how I have these movies set out here and whatnot. So that's what I'd like to do. And then from there, I will post another episode or two about my collection as it goes. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So does anybody have any questions? How the hell could you ask any questions? This is a podcast. That was a trick question. I'm just messing with you. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and start grabbing some movies and I'm just going to get right into it. But I got to get my cat out of the way first. She is, right? She's literally like right in the way of the pile. Hang on. Clarice? Don't. Don't move. Okay. Well, okay. She didn't move, so I think we're okay. So, <clears throat> first in my collection, uh, which I will, let me just, sorry, before I get into this, uh, I will stop and say if it is a Blu-ray or a 4K or a DVD, because I do have a little bit of all three of those in the collection. Mostly Blu-rays, second up is the 4Ks, and then the third up is DVD if it's just something that's completely out of print or that I just want to use as a coaster because that's basically all a, uh, all a DVD is really good for. So, <clears throat> here we go. So first up, 10 Things I Hate About You, the Blu-ray. So this is a really good movie, which that's probably something I bet I will say throughout the entirety of this episode. But 10 Things I Hate About You, it is a fun movie. Uh, it's a very good uh, coming of age, maybe not coming of age, but it's a high school movie. I think it's actually loosely based off of some type of a Shakespeare story. I could be mistaken, but I do know there's a lot of references to Shakespeare on and off throughout the movie. Uh, it's got the late, great Heath Ledger in there, uh, a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Julia Stiles, uh, David Krumholtz, I, I think that's his name. I like him. I don't think he really gets a lot of love. Um, but it's a it's definitely a movie of its time. It's very much a 90s movie. And I remember the first time I saw this movie, it was actually at my family's lake house in Texas. We watched it on the VHS player in the living room. And uh, yeah, I think everybody just really, really enjoyed the movie. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's really all I got to say about that. So next up, I got 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Uh, this is the... Actually, you know, I just realized it's going to get annoying if I say Blu-ray. This is the Blu-ray. This is the Blu-ray. Um... Whatever. If you're curious about the format, I can tell you. I'll just say if I'll say if I have a 4K. How about that? Because I don't have as many of those in the collection, so that'll be easier rather than me saying Blu-ray 200 times. 
Okay, <clears throat> so 13, 13 hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. This is actually, I would say, one of Michael Bay's better movies. He kind of had, he, he, I think he was coming off a string of some, you know, quite frankly, some dumpster fire movies. Uh, Pain and Gain maybe had been around this time, which that's not quite a dumpster fire movie, but there was some controversy with the fact that it was based on a true story and that they were kind of taking that in a comical light. I know he got a lot of shit for that. Uh, but this one... This is, I would say, like up there with some of his better movies, like even like Bad Boys, uh, The Rock, uh, even Armageddon, which, you know, that that is a movie I enjoy. Um, and, and it also has a, a has John Krasinski uh, from The Office that most people know him from anyway in A Quiet Place. <clears throat> and he's very good in this movie. And overall, this this whole movie is just a pretty good, solid action thriller. I wouldn't rank it as high as, say, like a Saving Private Ryan or even Black Hawk Down. It's definitely below those, but it is far better than the average military movie that you're likely to see. And it is based on true events. And I believe they actually had a lot of the real people behind um, the events of this movie uh, working on the movie as like consultants. So I think they actually worked pretty closely with the real people, which I always appreciate in movies that are based on true stories. Okay, 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street. I'll do these two at the same time. Um, <clears throat> I never watched the series with Johnny Depp. I, I heard about it prior to, to these movies, but I never, yeah, never really watched it. It was before my time, just being real. Uh, but I like both these movies. The first one, of course, is better, but Jonah Hill, he plays... Uh, I don't know, well, he plays, an, he plays an asshole really well. It's not to say that he's an asshole in this, but he has... He's just a very funny guy. He's a very funny guy, but uh, he's very snarky, and I, I can't really describe him that well. But I think he's a he's a really good actor. And I know Channing Tatum, when this first one came out, people had just known him from like Step Up and just sort of being like a, a pretty boy. He was a model, basically. In fact, I think he actually did modeling at some point before acting. But... This movie really showed his comedic chops, for sure, because I don't really think I had seen him do a comedy uh, just straight up like this, but he's good. And if you haven't seen either one of them, I recommend the the pair of movies. They're, they're both pretty funny. They have a lot of good laughs, uh, and Ice Cube's in them, and Ice Cube is uh, pretty scary. Uh, he's scary when he yells, but they make fun of that. All right, 127 Hours. So this is a James Franco movie that's directed by Danny Boyle. I think this came out in around 2011, I want to say. And it's a very, very personal story about a man named Aaron Ralston that ends up getting stuck, I think, somewhere out in Utah and has to resort to pretty drastic measures in order to uh, eventually free himself. Spoiler. I won't really say exactly what he has to do just in case you haven't seen it or you're not familiar with the actual story itself, but <clears throat> it's one of those movies that's an isolation movie. So you could, con you could compare it to like a, say a castaway, uh, maybe even the movie moon. If you have seen that, it's a great independent movie with Sam Rockwell. Um, but I think this is one of James Franco's best performances that he's given. It's also one of my favorite Danny Boyle movies. And I think it's, uh, it's a very, it's actually a very engaging story considering that most of it is truly taking place in one location. Uh, but the filmmakers behind it really find a way to make the film have a very dynamic feel to it. Um, it's also very, very personal. I think 
that there is a lot that a person would go through if they were in a life or death situation like that. And just the, just the way that that plays on the person's mind in the movie, uh, in this case, uh, Aaron Ralston, James Franco, um, yeah, it's a very intense movie, and there, and there is there is a couple of things in the movie that I think would make you squeamish uh, if you are somebody that can't handle uh, seeing certain things with, like, gore and whatnot. But uh, anyway, I guess you've been warned, but it's a very, very enjoyable movie. I've actually seen it a couple of times, and I, I do remember actually seeing that one in theaters, so there you go. 300. This is Sparta! Uh, I think I just scared my cat doing that. <laughs> uh, okay. So what, what can I say about 300 that hasn't been said? There's Gerard Butler. He has a lot of CG going on around him. I think almost all of this movie was shot on a green screen. Uh, there's a lot of tanned buff, uh, six packed abbed Spartan people, and they are fighting Persians that are trying to rule the world. So there you go. That's all I got to say about 300. Let's see, 50-50. So this is a dramedy, I would say. It's got Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Seth Rogen, Bryce Dallas Howard, Anna Kendrick, and Angelica Houston. This is a very, very touching movie. Definitely a very touching movie. I love dramedies. I definitely admit that I kind of have a soft spot for them. I love a movie that's able to make me laugh, um, but still uh, touch my heart at the same time. And 50-50 is very effective at that. And I also know that this is another uh, movie that's based on a, a true events as well, a true story uh, about somebody that's a very young man that gets cancer and what he has to do to get through it. And it's, it's a very real movie, I think. But it's very well written. It's a, it's a very smart movie, I would say. And it has a lot of unexpected feels, I think. Uh, yeah, I guess just when you least expect it. So there you go, 50-50. And then next up, oh, wouldn't you know it, it's another Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie. It's 500 Days of Summer. It's got him and Zoe Deschanel. I think I'm saying her name right. Um, this is a this is a fantastic movie about relationships. Um I know I got a lot of buzz like when it first came out. It was a very hot independent movie, I think, at the time. <clears throat> but I think it's rightfully so because it explores it explores a side of like a breakup, like cuz you could definitely say this is like a breakup movie because it's examining how a relationship ultimately ended up not working. But what I really like about it is that it does have both perspectives fairly well realized. Uh, and more so, I think it shows that there are times in your life that may happen, whether you're young or whether you're old, that you may be head over heels in love with somebody, or you may be fooling yourself or not being honest with yourself about, you know, something or another person or even something with yourself. And I think this movie is very smart at how it tackles that and shows that they're that you very well could be in a situation where you could get hurt, um, but ultimately maybe come out on the other side uh, being a wiser person for it. So that's why I really appreciate the 500 Days of Summer. Okay, I got to grab some more movies, so bear with me a moment. Let's see. I'm grabbing more. I'm grabbing more. All right. And my idea behind doing this, well... I don't know why I said my idea behind doing this. I'm trying to make sure that I don't un... 
Why can't I talk? I'm trying to make sure that I do not accidentally mess up the order of the movies. Because I, I do take the time to put them in alphabetical order. So, one second. Okay, I think... Is that gonna... Uh, is that gonna work? Oh, no. Is that... Oh, come on. Alright, that's, that's, gonna, that's gonna have to do it for now. Okay. Which... On the subject of alphabetical order, I'm not going to get surprised if somebody that's listening is like, um, actually, uh, this, this movie should have been ahead of this movie or after. Like, look, I worked in a movie store at one point, and so I had to alphabetize things often. I, granted, I was 16 when I did this. I'm 31 now, so, <laughs> you know, it's been a minute. But that said, I tried, okay? So don't, uh... You know, don't don't worry about it if I have something out of order a little bit. It's it's not a big deal, but maybe I did it right. Maybe I'm just being hard on myself. I don't know. Let's keep going. Okay, so this is the first 4K, I think, that I've talked about thus far, and that is 1917. Uh, that is a movie by Sam Mendes, which I actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, I believe I actually did a podcast episode all dedicated to 1917. So go back and listen to that, and then like you can come back here. Or don't do it at all. I don't care. So I don't really need to talk about it, I guess, that much. I own it. It's a one-track shot of World War One, and yeah, there you go. And oh, this one is one of the granddaddies of my collection, I would say, and it is the 4K uh, collector's uh, collector's edition of 2001: A Space Odyssey. So first off, I will say of all the 4K movies that I own, this one is by far none, I think, among my favorites. It could even be my favorite. I I don't know. Um, I have a lot, I mean, I have a lot of movies to get through, so we'll see if that thought sticks. But what I will say as far as the packaging goes, because as somebody that does love physical media and supports it, packaging is actually very important to me. This is a great package. You hear that? Right there. That is me knocking on it. It's got a nice, uh, very, very solid case to it. It's not a slipcover, actually. It's like a cardboard plasticky box or something. I, I'm very bad at describing these things. Uh, but it's very cool. I'm opening it up right now. It's got the 4K in there. It's got the icon uh, iconic shot of David walking down one of the corridors with the box, I think, to like disable how or something like that. I'm not sure. And there's also... Uh, digital copy code that's in there as well and then it also comes with I, I don't even know if I've looked at this it comes with photos yeah it comes with like set photos um, that are really 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 cool to look at if you're into that sort of thing um, and it's just it's just really great packaging and the, the last thing I would say about this movie is as far as like older movies uh, or movies uh, like catalog titles from a studio they took their time on this one, and I mean they took their time. They restored this thing frame by frame, and it shows, because I swear to God, there are some scenes in this movie where you would not know that this was shot in 1968, or that this came out in 1968. You would have no idea. Uh, it's that good. I, I shit you not. Uh, so if you're a Stanley Kubrick fan, or you're just a science fiction fan, or even a fan of film, I feel like this is one of the, the must-owns that you should have. Uh, because it is definitely going to look great on your 4K TV, and it also is, um, well, it's just amazing to look at on the shelf. So, 2001, I love you. And next up, wouldn't you know it, it's your brother or your sequel, 
2010, the year we make contact. So I don't have the 4K of this. This is a Blu-ray. And I'll be honest, I've only seen this movie, I think, once or twice. It's not it's not nearly as good as 2001. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not. But it does have Roy Schneider. Uh, Roy Scheider? Scheider? Schneider? I think it's Scheider. Yeah, from Jaws. You know, Jaws. Um, but it's got John Lithgow, too. Helen Mirren's in it. And uh, <clears throat> and also Keir DeLay, the, the original actor from 2001, is in it. And what I would say is that this is a faithful sequel just meaning that as far as i can tell it followed the source material fairly well for the sequel novel uh the sequel novel by by arthur c clark um but it's just not i don't know it's just not as good i i don't know really what else to say about it i mean it's a fine movie it's not awful i mean for a sequel to such a mammoth of an original movie uh i'm sure it was probably very intimidated by that but i think for what it's worth, it tells its own story fairly well. It's just not as compelling or original as 2001. But that said, I don't dislike it. So there you go. Um, now, this is the first DVD that I'm talking about in this in this episode, and that's The Abyss. James Cameron's The Abyss, which it pains me to even say that I'm talking about this as a DVD, but there's no Blu-ray for this. And even more shocking, there's not a 4K and that's a little it, like it would be very bizarre to me but for some reason there's a number of James Cameron movies that <clears throat> seem to have this problem uh like Titanic I don't think there's a 4K for that uh True Lies I don't believe there's a 4K um I'm trying to think Term- Terminator 2 has a 4K but it's very bad uh, I think they re- they tried to release a new version of it recently but I don't think it improved much upon the original um so, for whatever reason, uh, oh, and did I say Avatar? Avatar doesn't have a 4K? I'm not sure. But, <clears throat> for whatever reason, certain movies of James Cameron just haven't been getting the 4K treatment. And it's just very strange to me, because James Cameron, for the bulk of his career, I would say, is always trying to push the limit with special effects technology. So, the fact that his movies wouldn't be given the treatment of the highest resolution available... I don't know. I don't understand why. I'm sure there probably is an explanation or Cameron is just ultra picky about the the process to do it. I really couldn't tell you. I've heard rumors for years that there's going to be a Blu-ray and or 4K of The Abyss, but uh, pun intended, but I'm going to hold my, I don't want to hold my breath away and see on that because I think I might drown. But The Abyss, for anybody that hasn't seen it, it is... Well, one, it's a remarkable piece of filmmaking because the bulk of it is literally shot underwater, like, for real. So, that's amazing in and of itself. But I also think the story's phenomenal. And I and I really don't want to spoil too much because this is a movie that I would love for more people to check out. Because I think it's sort of gone under the radar unless you're of the generation that saw it when it came out. Um, but essentially, there is this crew of deep... Of, of deep ri- Oil riggers? Oh my gosh, I can't say it. Deep sea oil people, we'll call it that. They ended up getting roped by the U.S. government to go and investigate this submarine that sank to try to see if there's any life left on it, and it turns out to be a whole conspiracy, but at the same time, there's stuff that is happening towards the bottom of the ocean that can't be explained, and so there's a mystery around that. And I don't really want to say more beyond that, but uh, the abyss... I think it's one of James Cameron's best movies for sure. 
Uh, it has some real pioneering special effects in it, and it is also, I would say, uh, very rewatchable, and a lot of it still holds up, so that's awesome. Okay, let's keep going. <clears throat> oh, I got another DVD here. There is a Blu-ray of this. I just haven't gone through the trouble of upgrading. It's accepted with Justin Long and a jo Jonah Hill's in it before he was really famous, and, and Blake Lively is in it as well, along with... Uh, the wonderful Lewis Black, who is very funny, angry comedian. He's always pissed off about something, but I think he's very funny. Uh, I like this movie. Uh, it's fun. It's got a fun premise of a bunch of kids that don't really understand the purpose of college, but they are pressured by society to go. So they end up making up their own college and just basically partying the whole time. So it's a very fun uh, college movie. Uh, you could say it's even maybe like in the like in the vein of like a Van Wilder or something like that, Animal House. Uh, I'm not really sure, but it's a it's a very solid movie. Uh, I think it's very good. And Jonah Hill has that one very funny scene where he's like, ask me about my wiener. Ah! Okay. <laughs> it's, it's very good. Okay, we got The Adjustment Bureau. This is a Matt Damon and Emily Blunt science fiction movie. Uh, science fiction's almost kind of loose. I'd almost say that this, I mean, it is, it is science fiction, like I, I guess, because it does have stuff in it that is science fiction-y. It is from Philip K. Dick. But it's a very grounded science fiction movie. And what I really like about it is that it's it's very conspiratorial, I guess, because it has a secret society in there that's manipulating and doing things behind the scenes and they control a lot. So I like a lot of the aspects of that. But it's also just a damn good love story as well. And Matt Damon and Emily Blunt, they have a lot of chemistry in the movie. So that's awesome. Okay, the next one is Adventureland. So this has Jesse Eisenberg, Kristen Stewart, Bill Hader, uh, Kristen Wiig, uh, and then also Ryan Reynolds. I remember... Now, I didn't see this movie in theaters when it came out, but I do remember being very fond of it when it came out. And it was one of those movies that I watched like a thousand times. And I think it's just because like it, it spoke to me in a lot of very relatable things that young people, including myself were going through at the time. And it also had a lot of like echoes to movies like dazed and confused fast times at Ridgemont high. Um, really some of the great coming of age stories. And I do think Adventureland is uh, a great coming of age story. It's from Greg Matola, the director that did super bad and I don't know. It's just, it's got a really good soundtrack. It's got a good love story. It's got a great ensemble cast in it. I think Martin stars in it uh, as well. And it's just a, it's a very enjoyable. It's, it's, it, it's a very enjoyable movie. It's very funny. Uh, it's sweet. It's romantic. It's nostalgic. It's a lot of different things all rolled up into one, but I, I still, I don't know. I may need to set this movie aside sometime because I, I really, I really do enjoy it. And uh, yeah, so it's a very good movie. Okay, and then the first of the comic book movies, which I actually don't think I own like an obscene amount of comic book uh, comic book movies, but we'll see. So I got uh, Marvel's The Avengers. So the very first one. Uh, there is a 4K of this, but I haven't I haven't made the plunge to upgrade that or really a lot of the 
various Marvel films that I own, though I think I have a few in 4K. Um, but I don't really know what, I, I don't really have a lot to say about the Avengers. It's great. It's the Avengers. It's an ensemble. Uh, the Hulk smashes the shit out of Loki in one scene. I, I enjoy that. Uh, and, uh, what else could I say about it? Mm, Iron Man. Okay. There you go. All right. I'm grabbing another pile. So uh, hold on, hold on to your butts. Uh, here we go. So, oh, when she, what can you, what do you think is going to be the next one that I'm holding right now? So, let's see. I talked about the first Avengers, which would mean Avengers 2, The Age of Ultron. Um, well, this is a red Blu-ray, so, ooh, that's, that's neat. I think I actually, yep, another one of the movies that I'm going to be talking about in this is a red Blu-ray. I will let you guess what that is until I get to it. Um, Avengers Age of Ultron, it's not as good as the first one. It's probably the the weakest link of all the Avengers movies, but eh, it's, it's fun. James Spader has a good motion capture voice work as a robot and, uh, oh, and Scarlet Witch and, uh, what is it? Blah, 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 blah. I can't think of his name. Aaron Taylor Johnson is a guy Quicksilver. There, there it is. Yeah, it's got him in it. So there you go. Um, let's see the next Avengers movie. So this one is a 4k it's Avengers infinity war. I actually think this is the, probably the best of the Avengers movies and hear me out because Endgame is great. It is definitely great. I think they did a lot with it and I think it was a culmination of a lot of different things in the MCU, but that ending, that ending in Infinity War where the filmmakers are basically just giving a middle finger to the audience being like, yep, sucks. They're all dead. I mean, that, you ever think like what it would, ha- like what would happen if they actually just ended it that way? Like no end game, just they end it right there. Thanos wins. He snaps his fingers. Everybody, like half the people are dead. He got what he wanted. Balance has been restored. Deal with it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what really would have happened with that, but. It's a cool, it's a cool movie. And this is actually the steelbook for it too. I guess I should have clarified that. It is a steelbook and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. I, you know, I guess I'm a completionist when it comes to the Avengers because the next one I'm holding is Avengers Endgame. Now this one's not a steelbook, but it is a 4K as well. It does have the nice slip cover. I think if my memory serves right, because I bought this at Best Buy and I know they had a steelbook for it, but I just wasn't really all that impressed with the packaging. So I ended up just actually going with the slipcover because I like that better. Um, it's Endgame. They did a lot of stuff. Captain America picks up Thor's hammer. They have that great big epic battle sequence at the end. Uh, as well as the, in my opinion, the kind of cringe scene where all the women superheroes like are in one shot. And they're just like, not today, ladies. And... I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just a misogynist dude that doesn't appreciate women. I <laughs> that that's not true though. I, I I love women, but it it was very cheesy that scene. I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but that it felt like that. Uh, okay, let's keep it going. Airplane. I told you not to call me Shirley or don't call me Shirley. Whatever. It is an absolute classic comedy. The it is the OG when it comes to parody films, spoof comedies. And I really think, uh, as cliche as this one might sound, they just don't make them like they used to. Especially a movie like this, and let alone the entire spoof genre, I think is in the dumps. Uh, It's extremely hard these days to make one of these work and have it not just be something like Meet the Spartans or some other piece of crap like that. 
So let's keep going. <clears throat> All right, I have, this is the first box set. So there's a couple movies in this, so I don't think that's cheating really, but it's a nice firm box set. See, hear that? It's got another one of those great hard covers. So this is the Blu-ray um, anthology, uh, anthology set of Alien. So it's got Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection. And let me just tell you this right now. Alien and Aliens, they're the best. <clears throat> Alien 3, you don't need to worry about it. I mean, you could give it like a watch once, maybe even watch the director's cut, and you'll be like, eh, there were some cool ideas in here, but ultimately this movie's not that great. And then Alien 4, uh, Alien Resurrection, I mean, just basically, just treat it like it doesn't exist because it, I mean, it's not even like a movie that you can watch and be like, haha, like it's so bad I can laugh at it. It's it's just a really bad movie. But that said, it's a box set. I do want to own these. Uh, I, I mean, I love the first two. So, um, I, you know, I, I really wanted to have this set. And there is actually, like, I think there's actually its own dedicated bonus features disc in this set, which I really like as well. Um, so I will definitely probably hang on to this until all of these are available in 4K which I know the first Alien is, but I don't, I don't really want to break away from the box set just yet until I can get one where they're all 4K, maybe minus that crappy fourth one. All right. Ooh, this one is uh, a, a love letter, I'd say, to the 1970s and music as a whole. It is almost famous, which, in my, in my humble opinion, this is Cameron Crowe's best movie, by far and none. He... One, I mean, he has direct experience with the source material for this because he did work as a journalist for a time for Rolling Stone and I think a couple other music publications. And <clears throat> it's very personal. It's also a very uh, great coming-of-age story. It has a great soundtrack. It is like the ultimate backstage pass to what life was like in the 1970s if you were in a rock band. So it's great. Has a fantastic ensemble cast. Uh, you got the uh, criminally underrated Billy Crudup, uh, Jason Lee. I really think that he's fantastic. I, I actually wish that he did more stuff. You had the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman in this, Francis McDormand, um, uh, Patrick Fugit, which uh, I, he's actually been in a few movies here and there that are actually pretty good. Um, I think most recently people would maybe recognize him in Gone Girl. He, he is in that movie. Um... And then, uh, oh, there's there's always somebody else in this. Oh, well, Kate Hudson, of course, she's fa you know phenomenal in this. Anna Paquin, uh, Noah Taylor uh, is also very good in this as the the band's uh, road manager. And this movie is also famous as well for the introduction on the WTF podcast for Mark Marin because Mark Marin is in this movie and they use that famous bite in this where he's trying to stop the band from leaving. He's like, lock the gates. Um, so I, I, I really, <laughs> yeah, I, I love this movie and this is also a movie that I have seen many, many times. I've, I've rewatched it a lot. Uh, this is actually the director's edition that I have. Um, so I think there's actually more footage on this than, than some of the other ones. And one thing I do love about Cameron Crowe's, uh, physical media releases is that he packs them full of bonus features. And, and that really means a lot to, to the people that are collecting this media, because we're not just buying it for the movie. We are buying it so that we can, one, just have the highest resolution possible. We like to actually physically own something that's not reliant upon the internet 
Um, it looks great on our shelf, but then also so that if you're really invested uh, in filmmaking or you just have a mild interest in it, you can really dive in um, and really just learn a whole heck of a lot about the filmmaking process and just storytelling, etc. So to give, give you an example, so like this, this one has a director's commentary, there's an introduction, a behind the scenes uh, featurette on there, there's B-sides footage, there's music videos on here. Uh, there's, <clears throat> there's an interview with the actual Lester Bangs, uh, Cameron Crowe even has a top 10 albums that he breaks down of 1973. There's r actual full Rolling Stones articles in here and more. I think you can actually read the script for the movie in this too. Like, like, like that is amazing. Um, so yeah, this is, this is definitely a physical release that is absolutely worth having. And I know recently they actually came out with the 4K edition of this, but I don't actually know if it contains a lot of the same features or if they just did an upgrade in the resolution for it. I'm not really sure. But either way, Almost Famous is uh, a great movie. Uh, all right, next I got Alpha Dog. So this is a, another ensemble movie, but it's all about a criminal underworld. Uh, th this, is a, this is a really really dark movie i'd say uh it's also based on a true story i know about a pretty messed up thing that happened to a young guy uh i think that i want to say this is that this took place out in california but it has a, a really really talented cast in it from ben foster emile hirsch um justin timberlake anton yelchin the late great anton yelchin that that pains me to say that that one out loud. I mean, talk about a talent that was gone way, way too soon. Um, I think Anton Yelchin, you know, I think he's in, the, he, you know, he's in the Star Trek movies, the new Star Trek movies, but he was really good. And Charlie Bartlett, um, what's another movie that he was really good in? Uh, I even liked him in Terminator Salvation. It's not the greatest movie in the world, but I liked him in it. But anyway, it's, uh, I think it's a cautionary tale. That's how I would probably categorize Alpha Dog because a, a group of seemingly innocent kids, I mean, they're basically kids. Like, they're not, some of them are in high school, some of them are barely out of it, but they're very young. Um, they get caught up into some bad stuff, and, well, they, they, you know, people pay the price in this movie. So uh, it's, it's a good crime, good crime thriller, good crime uh, movie. So, so yeah. That's what I got to say about that. All right, let's keep it rolling. Oh, we got two American movies back to back. First, we got American Beauty, and then we got American Gangster. Uh, first off, American Beauty. Uh, this is another movie that I rewatched a ton. Kevin Spacey absolutely deserved to win the Oscar for this. I know that it's not popular to say Kevin Spacey nowadays because of all the things that happen with him on the set of House of Cards and all that stuff, but... As far as a performance goes, it's a phenomenal performance. I think it's a really interesting look at American uh, at American suburbia, and it's uh, I would say this is a tra a tragic movie in a way. There's there's parts of this movie that that really kind of stick with you. I think after you see it, um, but it, it won Best Picture in in 1999. Won a lot of Oscars actually, and uh, it's a it's a really thought-provoking movie, and, and oh, and also Thomas Newman's score in this movie. I believe it's Thomas Newman. I'm holding up the movie. Let me check. Yes, it is. Um, listen to the score of this movie. I love Thomas Newman as a composer, but this is one of my favorite uh, works that he put together. So, American Beauty, 
And then I talked about American Gangster. Damn it. This is another movie that I have rewatched a ton because I love movies about like mafia, about the mafia, about crime, about cops, especially like when it takes over, like when it takes a place over a long period of time, uh, which this one certainly does. And this is a Ridley Scott movie with uh, Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. Also has a huge ensemble cast to it with uh, like Josh Brolin, Ted Levine, uh, blah, 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 Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, let me see. John Ortiz is in this. Uh, there's, there's a lot of great talent in this movie. Um, <clears throat> but it is based on the true story of uh, Harlem, uh, Harlem crime boss uh, back around Vietnam. And there was, you know, he was directly responsible for basically flooding the whole area with heroin. It's a pretty crazy, crazy true story, and a lot of it is really factually accurate from what I have, uh, what, from what I've seen in my research. So, American Gangster, it's a very, very rewatchable movie. Um, it's just a really damn good crime, uh, yeah, crime drama. So there you go. All right, <clears throat> I'm gonna keep saying this, but I gotta grab another pile. I gotta do it. All right, come on. Get more. Ugh. All right. <clears throat> I don't know why it had to sound like that. Uh, all right. American Sniper. This is a Clint Eastwood movie. It's got Bradley Cooper, C. Sienna Miller, and it's a pretty solid true story about a person that was a really good sniper that had a lot of uh, a lot of PTSD and uh, a, lot of, a lot of issues. I'll just say that. But it's a good movie. Army of Darkness. I think I've actually done a podcast on this as well. Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell. It is some B-movie magic in that one, so there you go. Armageddon. Uh, I think I mentioned this earlier when I was talking about Michael Bay in that secret Benghazi movie. I also have a podcast on Armageddon, so I'm not really going to talk about it, so I own it. (laughs) Uh, Ooh, a movie that I should absolutely do a podcast on, though, is Annihilation. So this is a science fiction movie that, in my opinion, flew under the radar. Uh, it's from uh, Alex Garland, the the writer and director of Ex Machina, and yeah, it's uh, well. I mean, it says it on the back of this here uh, on the Blu-ray. It's a mind-blowing experience. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone said that. Well, Peter Travers from Rolling Stone, you are correct. This is definitely a mind-blowing experience and a disturbing. And hauntingly beautiful one, I would say, at the same time. So if you have not seen Annihilation and you want to see a movie that's going to mess with your head and make you kind of uncomfortable, but also leave you awestruck, uh, Annihilation is absolutely a movie that you should watch. Okay, the next, if you are a person that claims to be a a film lover or you love classic movies, then you're probably going to end up owning Apocalypse Now. Uh, So this is the two-disc special edition. I say that because they're like like a Blade Runner or something like that. There's a lot of different versions that exist of this movie. And this one, from what I can tell, it includes the original. But then it also includes Apocalypse Now Redux along with... I mean, shit, this thing says it has over nine hours worth of bonus features. So that's good. There is a 4K uh, of this. It's a re- it's actually a really cool looking edition, but I just I honestly just haven't gotten around to upgrading my my copy of it yet. I like Apocalypse Now and I respect it. It is a movie that does have some rewatchability to it, but it is not a movie I would also say that I would go out of my way 
um, to revisit that much. I, I kind of have to be in the mood for Apocalypse Now. So there you go. Uh, this is my first uh, multi-pack. Multi-pack. Uh, you know, Lilu Dallas, uh, Fifth Element. Um, all right, so this is a triple feature, according to this. So it's all three Austin Powers movies. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. And Austin Powers, Gold Member. Um, well... I talked about spoof movies earlier. Austin Powers was still in the time, or it at least rejuvenated the spoof genre, I would say, from what I can tell, because all three of these movies work on one level or another. Now, you could argue that one is better than the other, or whatever you want to say, but these movies are fun, and as a big James Bond fan, I still really crack up and laugh at these movies because it makes fun of that old, cheesy, like, 1960s Bond, and, and I love it. And uh, Seth Green is also a hilarious narcissistic ass in, in those movies. <clears throat> okay. Ooh. Avatar. They say, and I, actually, I was about to say, like, they say in Cryosleep you don't sleep or something, but that's not, that's not from this at all. Um, Avatar. I rewatched this actually probably I don't know like a month ago. I love Avatar. I know it might not be popular to say that, or it's uh, you know it's too mainstream or whatever, or people don't like that it's a ripoff of like Pocahontas and Dances with Wolves or you know whatever. I don't care. There's actually a lot of originality going on in this movie if you just stop and take a look at it. Uh, mainly just from the design of the world. I mean, I challenge you to come up with as much original creature design, uh, special effects technology, and et cetera, et cetera, that this movie helped pioneer. And you better believe that I have been patiently waiting for all the sequels to come out. And I know it's fun to be like, oh, good God, there's going to be like five Avatar movies. I don't care. Now, unless they all end up sucking, if they're even like half of what this first movie was... I will be all over that in a second. So, Avatar, it is very cool. And I actually, looks like I own the extended Blu-ray Collector's Edition. To be fair, some of James Cameron's, like, uh, director's cuts do improve the movie. But I don't think you necessarily have to see the Collector's Edition of Avatar. There is some extra footage on there, and it does give you more of a background to Jake Sully's time on Earth before he heads to Pandora. But... I don't think uh, that it's one that you absolutely have to see. But uh, that said, if you're going to own Avatar, it is the best edition that's out right now to actually own. Okay, uh, next we got Awakenings. So this, this movie is actually from, when is this from? 1990, a year before I was born. But it has uh, the great Robert De Niro and the late great Robin Williams. May he rest in peace. One of my all-time favorite actors and talents in the industry. Uh, this is a very remarkable true story. Um, it's about a man. I'm, I'm going to actually like look. I'm cheating a little bit. I'm looking at the back of this. Yes. So, long story short, Robin Williams plays a doctor that finds a way to wake up essentially a patient that is catatonic and that patient is played by Robert De Niro and it's it's really remarkable and and it, and it's fascinating it shows you I don't know like there's such an appreciation for life in this movie about not taking for granted like just being able to walk and talk and move and converse with people and all these things and uh I don't know there's 
this is not a movie that I would really want to go back and see all that much. Um, if I'm being honest, it's just cause it can get like a movie like this gets pretty heavy sometimes. And there is some times where this movie's kind of a real gut punch, but, uh, it is a beautiful movie and I really, I should probably go back. I should probably go back and watch this movie again, even though it can be hard in some parts, uh, yeah, I mean, like, both, both both the actors absolutely kill it in this movie. Uh, okay, back to school with, hey, Rodney Dangerfield, uh, hey, even now I get no respect. That's, that's, not a, <laughs> that's not a good impression of Rodney Dangerfield, but um, he is sorely missed, I'd say, especially his brand of humor and his big old bug eyes that he has. Um, but back to school, this, this is a movie that I always think about my family on, uh, especially my mom. She loves this movie and I've watched it with her several different times. We like the young Robert Downey Jr. in this movie. And in fact, this may have been one of his first movies. And then, and then you have Ned Beatty in there as Dean Martin, like, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just about a, an older man, an older rich man that ends up going back to college to prove to his son that he should stay in school. And, uh, that's, that, I mean, that's a funny, funny pitch for a comedy right there, but yeah, this is a, this is a very funny movie. And actually looking at the back of this, I don't think I've ever actually looked at the special features on there. May have to watch that at some point. Okay, and now the first of the Bs. We're in the Bs. So we made it through the number movies. We made it through the Bs. And, or, what? Am I an idiot? Oh, my gosh. Back to school. Gosh, back to school is the first of the Bs. Oh, my good God. Whatever. I'm going to keep... <laughs> I got to keep going. All right. So this is not even a guilty pleasure, but this is like a dark pleasure. And that is Bad Santa. This is a great Christmas movie, uh, but I can definitely tell you it is not for everybody because Billy Bob Thornton is all too convincing as playing a dirty, filthy, alcoholic, scumbag, con artist piece of shit. I mean, like he is not a great guy. In fact, I don't even really know if there is, even at the end of this, I'm like, I don't, I don't even know if the guy's redeemable, not not really. I mean, like he's a pretty dislikable person, but I don't know. Billy Bob is just so absolutely convincing and, and, and he feels authentic. He feels like he's really tapped into this or maybe lived this kind of life at one point. That's, that's how good he is in it. Um, but it's just got the darkest, most sick humor that you can imagine. And when you combine that with a time of the year, that's supposed to be light and meaningful and sweet, uh, if you're wanting to just watch something that's more adult and isn't like a Christmas story or something that's so sweet like that, uh, Bad Santa is definitely for you. Uh, but just know that it is, it's got some pretty messed up stuff, but also just hilarious dry humor. Like even one of the parts that I think of in that movie that's hilarious is when he ends up following this kid home. And finds out that the kid lives, like, he just has, he lives at home with his, like, elderly grandmother who's, like, barely there upstairs. Like, she's, like, totally senile. And, like, he just, like, in front of the kid puts on a ski mask to just rob the place. And the kid's like, come on in, Santa! <laughs> like, it's like, what the hell? Uh, but I, I absolutely love that movie. Alright, I'm grabbing another section of the pile. To continue on. To continue on with the bees. I don't know why I'm sounding like that, but whatever. 
Uh, I got another Steelbook. This is a trilogy, actually. The Back to the Future trilogy. So these are all the Blu-rays. I think there's a 4K of this, but I'll be honest, I, I mean, eh. If I get them in 4K one day, like, sure, that's cool, but, uh, eh, whatever. So, Back to the Future, just to comment on this quick, I really like the first one. It's probably a classic movie. Most people could say it's a classic movie. Back to the Future 2, eh, like, it's alright, I guess, and honest to God, I've never seen Back to the Future 3. And I guess that's kind of strange, considering that I own the box set, but I mainly just bought it for the first one, so, just to be real with you, so... I will... I'll keep going. So I'm going to rattle off these three quick because they're all three steelbooks. And I'm technically cheating here on the third one because it's not alphabetically correct. But you'll see what I'm saying. It makes sense. So we got Batman Begins, uh, The Dark Knight, which I guess that one violates that too. And The Dark Knight Rises. So I kept it in the Bs because they're all Batman movies. So come on. Um, what can I say about this? This made making superheroes dark popular. Christian Bale is amazing as Batman. It catapulted Christopher Nolan's career into the mainstream. And each one of these movies has an amazing ensemble cast. Dark Knight, I still think, is probably the best. But Batman Begins is, is still kind of a tough one for me. I, I really, really enjoy that movie. Hang on, my cat is like trying to attack my movies. Stop it. Uh, okay, so I got Beautiful Boy here. This is a, a movie that I wanted to see because I had, well, one, the, the trailer just looked really good. It looked like it was just going to sucker punch me right in the feels uh, and also make me have very strong reactions to people losing their life to drugs, which I realize that kind of subject matter may be very difficult for people to watch, especially if you've had relations or you've known somebody that's maybe had an addict in the family. But I actually think this is, it's a pretty good movie, but it's not as good as I wanted it to be. I read the memoir that this is actually based off um, by, well, I can't think of it here. So, yeah, because it's, yeah, David and Nick Chef. That's who it's about. David is the father and Nick is the kid. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's about a kid that gets addicted to meth and like loses everything and becomes an addict and starts doing terrible things and really d being just trying. I mean, he, the kid's destroying himself, himself, of course, but he's destroying his family too. Um, so I feel like for people that have any experience with this this movie might be a difficult one to watch but i think movies like this are important to be made because you know a movie like this is important because it exposes a reality that's in a lot of people's lives that's not really often talked about and that is drug addiction uh it's something that's out there that's for sure i thankfully do not have experience it uh with it myself but i've had a family member or two that's had issues with drugs and it's often, uh, well, it's very difficult because one, it's of course, extremely damaging to themselves. It's damaging to their careers, ruins relationships, etc. But I don't know. I think it's just because it's not like the, well, I don't know. It's just like, a, it's such a dark topic for people that it just doesn't get a lot of attention. I feel like, I mean, we're always, you always hear on the news, like, you know, keep the drugs away, keep the drugs away. But it's like, what about all the people that are like suffering on them and like are trying to get help or I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, 
Yeah, you really feel for families that go through something like this after watching this movie. So, um, yeah, there you go. Beautiful boy. Okay, Beautiful Mind, Russell Crowe. Uh, the great Russell Crowe and Ron Howard. This is a this is a very rewatchable movie. It's a true story about the life of John Nash, the famous mathematician. Uh, he won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, no, no, not the not the Pulitzer Prize. The uh, Nobel Nobel Peace Prize, I believe. Um, fantastic movie based on a true story and just a very interesting way to film um, somebody with schizophrenia. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, now this next movie. This one is one I don't think a lot of people saw, and that's The Beaver. So this has Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster, uh, Anton Yelchin, the late, late great Anton Yelchin, and a young Jennifer Lawrence. Um, this movie I remember in particular because, well, one, it was one of the quote-unquote comeback movies-ish for Mel Gibson. At the time, he was really hardly not getting a lot of work. Uh, he was still dealing with a lot of his criticism and mistakes that he had been making um, in his own personal life. And so that was really still having a big effect on his career. And so when this movie came out um, in the independent film circuit, well, I mean, one of the, it's, it's a, I mean, I admit it's a bizarre concept. It's a man that is in deep, deep depression and finds a way to communicate through a puppet of a beaver. Uh, if that sounds strange, it's because, well, it's strange, but that said, um, I, I really like this movie. It's not perfect. It's got, it's got some pacing issues here and there and, and some of the comedy in it doesn't always quite work, but Mel's performance in it is really, I think what holds the movie together. Um, because I, I mean, I do believe that he probably has, uh, probably has a lot of experience with real real world depression so if you want to see something different that's outside of the box has a pretty good cast and a very strong performance by mel gibson watch the beaver the beaver <clears throat> all right uh i got the 4k of beverly hills cop hey man i got thrown out of the fucking window i i don't know why i I can't do an Eddie Murphy impression. Eddie Murphy is, he, he is one of a kind. I, I, I wish he would actually do more stuff, but at the same time, I mean, with how hot he was in his career and whatnot, he's probably made more money than a lot of us ever will. So he doesn't really need to do it, but the heat is on, the heat is on in Beverly Hills on 4k. Okay. Beverly Hills cop, uh, big, Tom Hanks dances on a piano with Robert Loggia and it gives you the feels and he actually plays the kid pretty well. So yeah, big, big fish. This is, I think that not, I think big fish is my, is my favorite Tim Burton movie. Uh, it's got a great, great cast. Billy Crudup, the underrated Billy Crudup is in this, but Ewan McGregor and Albert Finney are the people that steal the show. And, you know, actually, now that I think about it, didn't Albert Finney pass away? Oh, shoot, I think he did. Hey, if, if he's alive, somebody can tell me, but I, I think he actually passed away. Damn, that's... Ugh. Realizing that just makes it makes me want to tear up a little bit, especially because of the ending of this movie. Um, but I really like Big Fish because of all the different Tim Burton movies, this one 
I don't know. It's like the most fantastical, but not too over the top in terms of like the fantasy of it all. And it's also just a very, very wonderful love story. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of a hopeless romantic myself. And so Big Fish is very good for that. Uh, the next in the big series, I guess, is The Big Lebowski, uh, one of the most mainstream popular Coen's Brothers movies. I'm grabbing another pile here, so that's why I'm kind of moving around. But, oh god, don't, oh no. I almost knocked over part of it. Um, let's see, Big Lebowski, uh, John Goodman, Jeff Bridges, it's a very sharp, funny movie. It's got a lot of great comedy about bowling and murder and uh Nihilus. there's a marmot and a lot of other things in the movie but it's a very very rewatchable movie i you can watch the, you can watch that movie a lot it spawned its own festival lebowski fest is an actual thing i don't know if they have kept going during covid though or not so that would be interesting but if anybody's been to lebowski fest let me know i'd actually always i've always been curious about that one it'd be cool to show up in a bathrobe and have a white russian uh, okay, I got the big short. This is the first, I would say, of Adam McKay's I'm going to not make Anchorman and Step Brothers movies. Not to say that there's anything wrong with those movies, but this is a very, very good movie, very smart movie, about the housing crisis of 08 and a lot of the shit that went down with the banks and a true story about a group of people that ultimately capitalized off... Uh, essentially our greedy economy. So I can't really, I'm not really great at articulating a lot of this stuff as well as uh, this movie is. But if you were curious about the housing crisis of 08 and you want to see a really good stellar uh, ensemble cast, um, well, you should watch the big short because it's a pretty, pretty damn good movie. Oh, and I have arrived at it. I have arrived at the movie that I said that was red. Can anybody take a guess I'll let you have three seconds here in Mississippi. So it's like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. You get three Mississippis to guess what the other red Blu-ray in my hands that I'm holding is that is not Avengers Age of, uh, Age of Ultron. All right. Well, it's Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. So this one, Best Picture. It, again, I, I seem to have a lot of movies with ensemble cast, but whatever. This was uh, a real uh, career high, I'd say, for Michael Keaton. He'd always been acting here and there, but this one really brought him a lot of critical attention. And it's a very original movie. It's shot to be like a one-take, which is a technical achievement in and of itself. But it also has a lot of commentary about show business, the state of the industry, about actors and what they do. Uh, and a lot of different things are going on here, but... Birdman is, uh, well, I'd say it's a brilliant movie. Uh, next, I got the 4K movie of Blade, the original Blade with Wesley Snipes and Steven Dorff. Um, this looks pretty good in 4K, I can tell you that. I have watched it. It's kind of curious that only the first one is released in 4K and not the others, so I'm not really sure exactly why that is, but whatever. I got this for Christmas one year, and uh, I'm a big Blade fan. I grew up with him. Wesley Snipes is cool, and he has a lot of, I don't know, just a lot of sass to him, and he can swear. He's he's an R-rated uh, R-rated superhero before it was cool to be like Deadpool and be R-rated. So we thank you, Blade, for your service to film. Um, and then next I have a triple feature, so it also has the original Blade 
but the reason I kept it is because Blade 2 and Blade Trinity are in this. Now, Blade 1 and 2, I think, are universally liked by most people, but it, for whatever reason, it seems to be the, the norm to just shit all over Blade Trinity and just say how bad of a movie it is. And I grant you, if I'm watching the other two Blade movies, I do think they're better. But there's a lot that I actually enjoy about Blade Trinity. I like Dracula in it. I like the soundtrack in it. I even like Ryan Reynolds a bit in it for what it's worth, even though he's still kind of doing his Ryan Reynolds isms, but he was a good action star at the time. One of his first turns is doing uh, an action movie and Jessica Bale's in it. Um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed some of uh, blade Trinity. Sue me. Okay. Blades of glory. Um, so this is a very, very funny movie. I feel like this. You, you could say that this is one of those movies where like somebody would say, oh, I bet that there's no way they can make it today because there's a lot of humor that is making fun of, uh, well, some of the, how do I say this while being politically correct? Um, making fun of some of the feminine sides of the Olympics with males. I think that's as far as I can go with uh, still being okay on that. Um, but it's got Will Ferrell, John Heater. This is just, I mean, it's a comedy. It's a comedy. You don't need to take a movie like this all that seriously. It's got some good laughs in it. I admit some of it's kind of stupid, but sometimes you need a stupid movie to feel sane or just to disconnect your brain. And Blades of Glory is good for that. Ooh, Black Hawk Down. So this is uh, a Ridley Scott Really good Ridley Scott war film. It's actually, I think, one of the best war films that's been made. Um, this one has a freaking huge ensemble cast. I mean, you got Josh Hartnett, Ewan McGregor, Tom Sizemore, Eric Bana, Jeremy Piven, William Fickner, Ewan Bremer, Sam Shepard, uh, Orlando Bloom. Tom Hardy's in this even at one point. There's a lot of people that are in this movie. But it's also a true story. I have a lot of movies that seem to be true stories. Um, but this is a very adrenaline-pumping war movie. It's very authentic. It is very powerful and uh, also shows how messed up and awful uh, war can be, especially when you're not prepared. So there you go. Uh, I got Black Sheep. The, the you, know, you could call it a sequel of sorts to Tommy Boy, even though it's got nothing to do with it. But it has Chris Farley and David Spade as their buddy comedy duo. Chris Farley being the over-the-top wacky guy and David Spade being the straight guy. Now, if you're going to compare the two, because inevitably you probably will, because most people think of those two, they think of Tommy Boy. Black Sheep, it, it's not as good, uh, not even by a long shot, to to uh, Tommy Boy. But... There's still some pretty good funny funny moments in this. I, I like the moment where Chris Farley rolls down a hill after stapling his hand. It's very funny. Uh, I have Blade Runner, so that is I have Blade Runner the final cut. Allow me to to clarify because there are I think there's like five or six different editions of this movie. I don't have the 4K of it yet. I would definitely like to. This is definitely a movie that I want to upscale, but. I will just say Blade Runner is one of my all-time favorite movies. It absolutely would probably be in a top 10 list. Maybe, I don't know, with me saying a top 10 list would be hard because there's a lot of movies that you have to cover ground to, to do that for. But Blade Runner, it's amazing. I absolutely, I think, owe it to you all to do a podcast on this and the sequel, Blade Runner 2049, because there is a lot to talk about. 
And speaking of Blade Runner 2049, I got Blade Runner 2049, and this one actually is on 4K. Uh, This is one of the best sequels ever made, in my humble opinion. It stood on the shoulder of a giant like the first one, but still made it feel like its own movie, still honored the original, but took it into a new direction, and that is, I think, everything that you could ask for for a sequel, especially a sequel to a classic movie. All right, I got Blood Diamond here. This has Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Conley, and Jaman Hansu. This is a really intense, uh, kind of messed up movie about uh, African conflict diamonds and the lengths that people will go to escape uh, the hellish circumstances that they're in. Uh, this this is a movie that I also need to watch again. It, it's a really, really damn good movie. And it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars when it came out. But I just remember it being tough. I remember it being violent. And I also remember it just being a powerful, epic movie. I might need to set that one aside and rewatch that, shouldn't I? Okay. Uh, ooh, this is a movie that I don't think enough people have seen. So I'm, I'm going to definitely plug this here. It's Mel Gibson's Bloodfather. So this came out in when 2016. Yeah, this came out in 2016. This was also sort of when, you know, Mel Gibson was kind of trying to come back a little bit. He was still, I mean, he had a, he had a lot of problems. A lot of problems for, unfortunately, this latter part of his career. Um, which I think, final, I think Hacksaw Ridge is what ended up saving him ultimately and giving him, getting him back into the good graces of most of mainstream Hollywood, save for maybe some people that don't forgive him. But, <clears throat> but anywho, Bloodfather... It is just a really, it's a really well done movie. I wouldn't say it's necessarily the most original movie in the world, but Mel is a very committed actor. He plays a, I mean, he plays a gruff seasoned person that has lived life very well. And ultimately Bloodfather is a very powerful story about a man trying to protect his daughter. And it's done just very, very well. It's a good, it's a good, uh, I don't want to say revenge movie, but, hmm, I don't know what I would call this. I don't know. See Bloodfather. It is good. Also, it has William H. Macy, who is also a very good actor. I'm grabbing another pile. I'm going to try to talk a little bit faster through some of these movies here, because I realize that I have been talking for a little over an hour, so I want to, I want to kind of keep going here. So let's go. Here we go. All right, next, Book of Eli. I watched this recently. Be honest, I got it on the bargain bin for $3, and yeah, it's kind of worth $3. It's, eh, I mean, the concept is cool, and some of the action sequences are decent, but it's not a movie I would probably watch all that often. And actually, upon uh, watching it most recently, there's some very odd choices when it comes to the coloring in this movie scenes where things are so over like undersaturated or they just look like the contrast is all messed up i don't know maybe it's just me and my eyes but uh yeah book of eli eh, you were worth three dollars uh boogie nights is an amazing movie uh so far i think it's my favorite movie that paul thomas anderson has made though i have not seen licorice pizza i've heard good things about that but Boogie Nights, I think, is uh, loosely based in a way on the experience of John Holmes, the porn star. Uh, but it's overall just a very, 
well, very sleaze, sleazy look at the world of porn in the in the 1970s or 60s, something like that. And I don't know. It's a, it's a very good movie. Burt Reynolds, R.A.P. Burt Reynolds. Uh, he is great. Also, R.A.P. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Damn it. Dang it. Well, William H. Macy is good in this too. I mean, the whole this whole movie is is very good, and it also has a damn good soundtrack. Okay, I got the 4K of Bohemian Rhapsody. I feel like I never say that part right, but this got Remy Malek an Oscar. It had controversy because of Brian Singer being a weirdo. Uh, but if you like Queen, this is a I would say a uh, a safe movie to watch for like a queen fan and when i say that i just mean that i don't think this went as like raw like uh raw or gritty as i was hoping it was i I think it was trying to you know it's a safe biopic it's it it didn't take too many chances as far as i could tell i thought it was going to go into maybe a little bit more dark territory on freddie mercury's life but hey that's just a personal observation but whatever uh the boondock saints I really like this movie. People thought it was going to be the next Pulp Fiction. It kind of flew under the radar. It's a cult hit, but it's good. Willem Dafoe is very, very good in the movie. And God bless the character of Rocco in this movie, which I cannot think. Uh, well, yeah, David Della Rocco. So huh, there you go. Um, it's a very rewatchable movie. And I think it's clever. I, like a lot of people, when it came out, I was I got pretty hooked into it. I thought it was like super cool and edgy. Uh, but yeah, Boondock Saints. Uh, Bone Tomahawk. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because I also have talked about this on the podcast as well. I don't think a lot of people have seen this. I don't think it's for everybody. But if you're looking for the horror genre to be shoved inside of a Western, then Bone Tomahawk is for you. I got the Born Trilogy here on Blu-ray. So that's Born Identity, the Born Supremacy, and the Born Ultimatum. This is one of the best trilogies that I know of, and I really like all three of these movies. I don't really like Jason Bourne, the fourth one, and the Bourne Legacy. Like, like I mean, who gives a shit? Uh, I got Boyhood. So Boyhood is a really, really phenomenal movie, especially because it took 12 years to film, which that's insane. And it is... I don't, I've never seen a movie like Boyhood, and I don't know if there ever will be a movie like Boyhood because of them literally documenting somebody's growth in real time. It's, I mean, if it's been done before, somebody could tell me, but I don't think it's been done before. And so, yeah, Boyhood, it's fantastic. Richard Linklater is a phenomenal filmmaker. And I also think Ethan Hawke, this is one of his low key best movies. Uh, the Breakfast Club. Bam, bam. Hey, 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 hey. Bam, bam. Ooh, 1980s John Hughes movie. Okay. I, I don't really have anything else to say about that. Uh, okay, I got Brad's status here. This is a smaller movie with Ben Stiller as a man essentially having a midlife crisis and trying to figure out what the hell his place in life is. Uh, if you like movies like that, you will probably like Brad's status because it is a pretty smart movie and it also has a lot to say about comparing yourself to others. Ooh, uh, speaking of Bone Tomahawk, this is the, I think this is the second movie that he made following up Bone Tomahawk and that is Brawl and Cell Block 99 with Vince Vaughn. Um, This, I mean, if you like Bone Tomahawk, watch 
this movie. I mean, if you're just a fan of S. Craig Zoller, you will like this movie. I I like Brawl and Cell Block 99 better than Bone Tomahawk. If if I because I'm trying to think, I I have seen I've seen Bone Tomahawk, uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99, and then also Dragged across, uh, Dragged Across Concrete. But of those three, uh, Brawl is is still is still my favorite, and and Vince Vaughn. Uh, if you want to see him really go against type, watch that movie. Okay, uh, I, have, I have brothers here with Tobey Maguire, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Natalie Portman. This, like the front of it says, it is an Oscar-worthy must-see movie. Though, I don't think for some different reasons anyway. Uh, this movie, it had a couple Golden, uh, Golden Globe nominations, but it didn't really do much beyond that. And I'm not even actually sure how many people ended up seeing it. But I can tell you that if you're into dramas about the military or dramas about life after the military, you would probably really like this movie. And it is a really good movie. But it's also disturbing and kind of emotional, too. All right, I have, uh, for the last of the Bs, I have the 4K of A Bug's Life. I really like A Bug's Life. It's actually one of the few Pixar movies that I own. I don't own as many of them as I think I should. But this came out after Toy Story did, and I just always really like this movie, especially the fat caterpillar that's like, oh, look, I'm a butterfly. I, I always enjoy that. Uh, okay, now the first of the Cs. We got Caddyshack. Rodney Dangerfield, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Ted Knight. I mean, my God, that is like the Mount Rushmore of the time of comic icons. Um, hang on. I'm moving the piles again. I think my cat's even like, are you done talking about these movies? Not yet, Clarice. I'm not. But stop looking so cute. Ooh, she gave me a bite. Okay. Um... I don't. Do I need to talk about Caddyshack? It's a classic, you know. Okay, on to the next one. Uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. This, in a lot of people's opinion, is one of the best, if not the best, Captain America movie that came out. It also gave the Russo brothers their shot at kicking ass in the Marvel universe. It's a good action movie, and uh, Robert Redford's in it. Okay, I have Carlito's Way. Um, I think I need to give this movie another shot because, I mean, I remember liking it, I guess, but I don't know. I like Scarface better if I'm comparing different De Palma movies, but there's a lot of people out there that like this movie, but I just remember like the last time I watched it, I was just kind of like, eh, like whatever, but maybe I need, I need to go back and I need to go back and just like give it a good sit and, and watch it. Uh, Ooh. Speaking of crime movies, we got Casino. Uh, Casino is, in a lot of ways, like Goodfellas. Some would maybe say it's not as good as Goodfellas, or maybe some would say it's better. I don't know. But I do know is that it is one of the greatest... Well, it's one of the great uh, collaborations between Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro. And it was also it also marked the last time that they would work together, I believe, up until The Irishman. Because uh, Casino came out in 1995, Irishman, what was it, 2019, maybe? Something like that. <clears throat> mm. But Casino is great. Joe Pesci uh, really is what makes the movie like awesome for me. I mean, Joe Pesci is, I mean, he's a mo- he's so good at being in mob movies. I mean, he probably, he probably hates that. 
maybe. I don't know. I think he doesn't like to be associated with the mob movies as much, but damn it. He's so good in this movie as Nicky Santoro. So, okay. Uh, let's see. What do I have here? Oh, I had the collector's edition Blu-ray of Casino Royale, which still to this day is, I think, Daniel Craig's best Bond movie. I did recently see No Time to Die. I think I need to rewatch it again. I enjoyed it for what it was. Not the biggest fan of the ending, but I mean, that's, that's for another time. Casino Royale works on like every level as far as a James Bond movie goes. There is very little that I would change about the movie. I really, really like it. It is awesome. Castaway. Now, if you want to watch a movie about a man being stuck on an island with a volleyball, then this one is for you. I myself, I don't know if I mentioned this before, I like watching movies about isolation. I don't know why. Maybe there's like a sense of comfort like about a person being alone or just seeing what they're able to do in a situation by themselves. I'm not exactly sure what the whole appeal is, but I can tell you that Castaway is a very great movie and Tom Hanks was very committed when he took off that year in between filming to um, drop all that weight that he had gained for the beginning of it. That is dedication. Uh, I have the DVD of Catch Me If You Can. So this is one of my favorite Spielberg movies, and it's, I mean, it's great by both Tom Hanks and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. But this movie will also hold a special place in my heart because I actually, uh, I actually have the autograph of the real-life Frank Abagnale Jr., who this movie's based off of. I, I won't say all the circumstances as to how I got it, but needless to say, it is one of the coolest pieces that I have in my movie collection. And if you're just into true stories about uh, real life and and you're interested in like con artist movies or things like that, uh, Catch Me If You Can is a fascinating movie to, to watch and just dive into and, and become immersed in. It's also uh, very interesting with what it did to the financial industry as a whole because of Frank Abagnale Jr. So, very cool. Ooh, uh, I got Chef. So, Chef was uh, an independent movie that I really, really dug. It has a great ensemble cast. I think it has a lot of sharp, smart writing and direction behind it from Jon Favreau. And if you just like movies about food, you will really like it. But I think the thing that works the most for me about this movie is that it's just a happy movie. And it's also a redemption story, too, which I do love movies about that, where somebody falls, um, but then they're able to rise and become a better version of themselves. And there is a couple of key scenes in this movie, I think, that are so, so damn smart. Um, and... You know, like, like, like there's, there's one scene in particular, like if you've seen this movie, you'll know what I'm talking about, but there's a scene where John Favreau, him and his son are like out at some market somewhere picking up food and they end up walking past a guy that has a puppet set up with this skeleton that's like doing a performance on a stage, but it looks like he's like begging for attention and John Favreau, they just stop and he's staring at this thing and he's listening to the song by Al Green, uh, Tired of Being Alone, which is a good song. But you don't, it's like the scene, it's one of my favorite scenes in movies because like he doesn't have to say anything, but he's looking at this skeleton and realizing that 
he's essentially looking in a mirror. He's looking at what he sees his life as being, where he's just being propped up and put out on display for other people's amusement, but that he's not really living his own true life to his his uh, definition of success. So, I don't know. There's, there's a lot that this movie, I think, has to say about artists, um, the struggle they go through to have validation and be taken seriously by others. Um, but then it's also just a, it's just a really good family movie too. And like I said, it's a happy movie. This is one of the few movies I know of that actually ends and you're just like, man, that like, that felt good. That just felt good to, to watch this movie and be on the ride that this movie was. So that's chef. Uh, okay. Christmas vacation. I, I don't really have a lot to say about Christmas vacation. It's a Christmas classic by, by a lot of people's standards and it's a, it's a funny movie. Cousin Eddie or Randy Quaid. Actually, if you want to if you want to uh, take a trip, go look up Randy Quaid's YouTube channel. You'll probably not thank me once you see it because uh, holy hell, that guy has uh, well, he's got some interesting thoughts. Uh, all right, I got Click with Adam Sandler, Kate Beckinsale, Christopher Walken. Um, Click, I think, is one of the I don't want to say one of the last, but it was definitely one of the last in a long while of good Adam Sandler movies. Uh, I think he had made uh, Rain Over Me, which is a phenomenal movie. That's another movie I got to do a podcast on. Um, but he had done like Funny People and a couple other movies around this time, but then he really just started making these like Netflix piles of crap. But before that, Click was just good. It was a good concept, kind of like It's a Wonderful Life, but with a television remote control. And it also had some unexpected dramatic uh, moments in the movie, which for a movie that's mostly a comedy, it, it flirted the line between that pretty well. And I, uh, I really enjoy click. All right. I'm going to try to make this be the last pile. And then I'm going to start wrapping this one up because I'm already at like an hour and a half, but I mean, it's hard. There's so many movies, so little time, but why do I sound like Jerry Seinfeld? I don't know. Oh. All right. I'm grabbing... Yes, this is it. Last pile. Let's go rapid fire for this part. Clerks 2. I don't own Clerks 1. I don't know why. Clerks 3 is coming out soon, but I like Clerks 2. They freaking do something with a donkey show. Oh my God. Uh, Cloud Atlas. This is a movie I will absolutely recommend you to watch if you're interested in grand science fiction epics, movies where there's multiple characters and their lives are interweaving and crossing paths with each other. It's one of those movies. But I read the book for this by David Mitchell, I think. Um, I really, really enjoy a lot of the concepts of this movie. I think as far as the Wachowskis go, because uh, this was direct. Yes, this was directed by all the all the Wachowskis. Yes, this is a very original movie. It's done, I think, brilliantly well. It has a great cast, fantastic special effects, a wonderful score, by the way, and it makes you think. So do watch that. Uh, This one, I guess, I mean, this doesn't count as a movie, but I own it. Uh, It's Coldplay Live in 2012. I have the Blu-ray for this. I actually have a couple... Yeah, I have a couple of uh, um, concert Blu-rays that I have in my collection, which I actually think are really cool. 
they don't make as many of them as you think, and some of them are actually kind of hard to find, but if you're just into some music and you like a band a lot, it's cool to actually, to actually, I can't talk. It is cool to actually own um, physical media on their behalf, uh, let alone a concert. Like, you can put it on the living room. If you have people over, it's great for that, so... Uh, and I also like, I, I really like Coldplay. I'm actually going to see them this year later on in the summer. So I'll have to maybe talk about that at some point. So that's cool. Uh, Collateral, Michael Mann. This is a great movie. Tom Cruise is a villain. You don't see that. Uh, you don't see that very often, but it's just really good. I, that's like the base. That's like, that, isn't that like the most basic thing to say? It's really good. Um, but it is. It is very good, and what I will say that I love about this movie is that few directors shoot nighttime like Michael Mann. There's just something like really visceral and raw and gritty about how he films stuff at nighttime, and I just really like his camera work and style in this movie, so there you go. Uh, Con Air, put the Blu-ray back in the stack. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Constantine, Keanu Reeves. I would really like to see a sequel to this. I don't know if it would ever happen, but Keanu Reeves does make sequels to his movies sometimes. Uh, and I really think this movie is underrated by a lot of different people. And there's actually, I'm actually looking at the back of this. There's a lot of special effects in this. Huh. Well, what I will say, Peter Stormare has the greatest 10 minutes of screen time uh, in this movie. Uh, I got The Company You Keep. This is from... Right, uh, yeah. Did, did he write this movie too? I don't think he did. Robert Redford. This is a political thriller, and I think it's actually a pretty decent one. Also has a really big cast, but it's pretty good. And uh, I watched it once, and I, I don't really remember that much about it, but I have it. It's complicated. Uh, I have something to confess to you all. I actually like Nancy Meyer movies. I like. Something's Gotta Give. I like what women want. I like It's Complicated. I think there's a couple others that she's done. But she mainly writes movies about rich like white people basically having marital problems and things. But it's funny. It's charming. Alec Baldwin is such a charming dude. And he's very funny. And Meryl Streep is one of the greatest actresses ever. And Steve Martin is Steve Martin. I think you'll like it. Uh, I got Crawl. This is another one that I got out of the bargain bin. I think I paid $3 for it. And it's fine. It is exactly what I thought it would be. It is a woman and her father trying to survive being eaten from alligators in like a monsoon or category something, category five hurricane. Um, but it's solid. Scary gators, hurricane, claustrophobic horror movie, um... This would be fine. Like, if I had friends over and I was like, hey, you want to watch a movie about gators? They'd be like, oh, sure. Like, why not? Like, we'll watch Crawl. All right, I got two more, and then we're done with this, with part one. So, I got Creed. This is the steel book of Creed. I don't own Creed 2 because I watched Creed 2 and I just kind of like, eh. Like, it, it wasn't really that memorable, to be honest. So, I don't know if I'll even ever buy it. But I really like the first Creed. It does a lot with the mythology of the Rocky universe. It brings back Stallone uh, for another time as Rocky Balboa. It's not about doing the best, it's about being the best. Um, <laughs> it's about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get it and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Um, 
you know, I crappy Stallone impression aside, that moment is powerful in Rocky Balboa. You know, I, damn, damn me for even doing that. I shouldn't have done it. Um, okay, but Creed, Michael B. Jordan, it's pretty good. I actually heard he's coming back to direct Creed 3, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if he'll do a good job, but maybe he will. He's a very talented guy. But uh, I very much like Creed, and I wasn't expecting it, but it was cool. I liked it. And now for the last movie that I have to talk about on part one of Screen Speaks movie collection or Jordan Anderson's movie collection is Crazy Heart. This one, uh, Jeff Bridges, the Academy Award. It's got Maggie Gyllenhaal in it. Uh, uh, Colin Farrell's in this as well, as well as uh, Robert Duvall. Um, this is a very, this is a very, um, well, it's a very touching movie, I would say. Uh, it's also, I mean, it does have a lot of heart. There's a lot of heart in it. I think if you like country music, you'll really like this movie. Uh, but I also think if you're just somebody that has made mistakes in life or you like seeing movies about redemption or about people, uh, coming to terms with who they really are, then I think that you would probably like crazy heart. And also that one song, the, uh, I think it, I don't know if it's called crazy heart or it's just called like your heart's on the loose. You roll them sevens with nothing to lose that song. Uh, Ryan Bingham, I think, is the artist that sings that in the movie anyway. It's a very good song. Um, that's like one of those songs that you can listen to after a long day or like you're driving on like an open road just thinking about your life. Like it's like one of those like heavy songs, but it's, it's very, it's very good. It's very affecting. And Crazy Heart is a very affecting movie. That's what I'll say. All right. That's it. I have talked about the movies starting with the numbers, like 10 Things I Hate About You and etc. And I talked all the way through the letter C in my collection. But guess what? I have the whole rest of the alphabet to get through. And I didn't want to try to do it all in one podcast because I think that would be murder. And I have a life. <laughs> like, I, I don't have the time to talk about it for that long. So... I hope that you enjoyed the the episode and you enjoyed this slice of something different on Screen Speak. If you enjoy physical media, please uh, please go ahead and and go to your local store or use use bookstore or Best Buy or Target. I don't give a crap where you buy from, even Amazon. Physical media, baby, support it. It's great. And uh, maybe maybe in one of the next uh, episodes on my movie collection, I will talk about maybe some more specifics about why that is rather than just simply talk about movie after movie after movie. But anywho, I'm tired. I need to end this so that I can edit it and put it up on, uh, put it up. So that's all I really got for you all. So I really sincerely appreciate it. Sorry about again, the long delay and lack of content. I promise more stuff is coming uh, as well as some more guests. So that's it. I appreciate you all, and I will catch you all in the next episode. Take care.